Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 129. This episode is with Head of Performance at Cambridge United, Matt Walker. Matt came on to talk about a number of different topics. So we covered the high player turnover at the club, um, players on long-term or short-term contracts and how that affects his practice. We spoke about adapting to change, working under different managers. We spoke about the scrutiny of injuries, so having the, the confidence to back up your programme and that injuries aren't all the fault of the S&C coach, um, but getting to the bottom on what's caused it and what's caused that injury at a certain time. Preparing to be questioned on your practice as well. Um, and then we also spoke about the conversation or the discussion about injuries against versus results. So whether coaches are happy to simply just get results, be top of the league, but have a, a high number of injuries, or whether the injury record is something that they're really focusing on as well and trying to find that balance. And it was great to tap into Matt's experience on that too. So a really enjoyable conversation with Matt. I could have spoke to him for ages, to be honest. It's only the second time I spoke to him, but we covered absolutely loads in this episode. He's obviously a coach that's got great experience. Um, has been at Cambridge for a number of years now, but also other clubs as well in, in different roles, including academy roles as well, which I know we met. he talked quite a lot about in the, in the episode too. So it was great to tap into his experiences. As always with the podcast, it'll be great to hear what you take away from this one. So please, please give us a share on Twitter, Instagram, share it out with friends, family, colleagues, anyone that you think will benefit from the podcast. And also tell us what you've taken away from it. So give us a few takeaways from um, what you actually took away from the episode. I know I always discuss mine at the end, but it'd be great to hear what you took away from the podcast as well. Um, and maybe other listeners will be able to resonate with those takeaways as well. So please give it a share. If you haven't done so already, I'd really appreciate it if you just popped over onto iTunes and give us a review. Just mention on there possibly um, guests that you've taken the most from, topics that you've enjoyed the most, and um, click the five stars as well. That'll help us out massively on the podcast, and I'd really appreciate it. And just finally, just make sure you subscribe iTunes, Spotify, and also over on the YouTube if you'd rather watch the podcast instead of just listening to it. As always, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. Here is episode 129 with Head of Performance at Cambridge, Matt Walker. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 129. I'd like to welcome onto the podcast today, Matt Walker, Head of Performance at Cambridge United. Matt, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. You? Very good, mate. Very good. I'd just like to congratulate you to start with, and this probably resonates with a few of the listeners, getting to the end of homeschooling. Yeah. <laughs> hey, mass, massive graduation on Sunday night for my 10 and 8-year-old. Yeah, buzzing. Yeah. It's actually uh, it's actually been all right for me this time around, but I've been out, but my wife's been trying to um, work full-time from home and homeschool, so I've definitely had the better, uh, the better end of it in this... Uh, January to March period for sure. She lets me know that though. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, in all seriousness, yeah. no, respect because I know there's a lot of people that have been through it and uh, kids, uh, as we record this, kids have had a day back at school. So yeah, um, yeah, we're back into it now. But yeah, 
congratulations. So we'll yeah, start so. on that. <laughs> um, but let's dive into you, mate. Let's go into, I just mentioned your current role, head of performance at Cambridge, um, obviously yep. having a, a good season. Um, yep. Take us back. Let's have a listen to your career, where you've been so far and what's led you up to this role. Yeah, so um, I had a bit, well, my school record looks like I was um, expelled multiple times, really. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an army kid, so just followed dad around. We, you know, a lot of forces kids live the same life, really, moving every, every few years, if not shorter, maybe one year somewhere. So, and some go to boarding school, but me and my brother really wasn't never really option really we just stuck at it so um we traveled a fair bit really so um lived between germany northern ireland england a fair bit dad was off to central america on postings at different times so it was a strange childhood in looking back on it now as a parent um so we didn't really sort of set roots down um till i started my gcse's i was 14 my brother doing his a levels um we moved back from northern ireland one of dad's postings there um, and then did GCSEs, A-levels, played a bit of football, realised quickly that I wasn't at the level of friends of mine that were about to get a scholarship um, or those that didn't even get a scholarship at Brighton. So had a great PE teacher, um, a guy called Andy Marchant, who um, basically you know, had lots of chats about how to get into football. He was an ex-pro and, um, you know, the world was very different than it was literally, you know, manager, assistant manager, goalkeeper, coach, those sorts of things and physio. So you know, as we know, the world has, has moved on some 20 odd years later. So did A-levels, really enjoyed sports science, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do at uni. So just cracked on with sports science, really, um, and, and career wise. So um, finished uni, did a postgraduate in um, secondary PE, started teaching um, at a secondary school in Hertfordshire, which I loved. But at the same time, was always doing lots of coaching on the side. So um, I'd done my B license by the time I was 23. Um, I started working in some semi-pro clubs and sit, just seen a bit of a niche, really. I don't know what, there was no sort of eureka moment, really, but I thought I was a pretty good coach, but not an excellent one. And I'd done a lot of academy coaching by sort of my late 20s and then got offered a role at Cambridge full-time after working there part-time to run the Centre of Excellence, as it was then, out of the league, which was really tough. Um, we were in the conference at the time and um, zero funding. You know, we did stupid stuff like walked from Torquay to Cambridge to try and raise 100 grand. You know, just you have to do ridiculous things to get ridiculous money, don't you? Right. So um, running the marathon's not enough for anyone anymore. So uh, all those things, really. So I did that for a couple of years, loved it, learned loads, learned loads about myself, um, worked with some great staff and then um, got offered a job at Watford. Um, assistant academy manager, um, which was you know, a massive change for me. Um, Watford in the championship at the time, again, brilliant staff that I worked with and had my eyes open to a different, different roles, really. And we had um, the Harefield School Project going at the time. Um, so boys were being educated at a school. Well, not every kid in the academy of the secondary age, but a good 45, 50 of them. So they would be minibused in in the mornings, operate in a normal school environment but we would then have Watford football sessions within the school day um, and then the rest of the boys would arrive in the sort of early evening um, and then they'd be um, mini bus time so that was a real different experience um, then a little bit of a change in private life really so um, started a family took a bit of academy hours 
as I'm sure people listening and, and working and that will know anything about it, it's pretty unsociable. You know, you're walking off an astro at half 10, 11 o'clock at night sometimes once you finished up. And then with the Harefield project as well, we would, we were in coaching in the mornings, you know, around school times as well. So that was pretty much all consuming. I'm not sure I could have been a very good at that job and been a very good dad. So I chose dad. Um, so I did scouting for two years in, in a first team environment. Uh, Watford kept me on, which was really good of them. Um, so I worked there for a season and did the same at Brighton. So under Malky Mackay, um, guy called John Stevenson, who was head of football um, at Watford. And then Gus Poyet was manager at Brighton when I worked there for a year. And, and again, learned so much more, you know, loads of stuff you, you think you know, but you, you really don't know until you get into that world. Um, and then got offered a job back here 2012 um, to start up something that didn't exist. The club were still in the conference when I came back, but this was in a first team role um, to sort of try and head up some sort of sports science, um, fitness conditioning, those sorts of things that the club didn't have and saw a big gap really. So lots of discussion about how that would work. Um, yeah, that's where it, it began really. Been here, this is my coming up to the end of my ninth season. Brilliant. And I'll just get a bit of an overview in a second on the season because I just mentioned how, how well the team are doing, but we'll just go into um, your side of it in a second as well. But just before we do, I just wanted to ask, because with the scouting, we've not actually sort of touched on this at all on the yeah. podcast, but is there anything that you you did in that role or that you reflect on that carries over to your current role now? Yeah, I think it's... Um, I, I've always been a positive kind of person in everything I've done. So I think if you involved in academy football um you you get told a lot about what kids can't do he can't do this yeah he don't move well he don't do this he don't do that he can't do that he's not very good there and I I really always disagreed with that you know mm. especially when I had a bit of a senior role as well trying to say well well we better release him then because the, what can he do you know the, yeah. we've got lads who've been here for five six years and you just keep telling me you can't do stuff so let's try and accentuate some positives what can he do what's he excellent at um and I think that's what scouting really brought to the forefront even more, really. We're trying to find, so I was worth the year at Watford, you're looking at lads in other championship clubs, League One, League Two, maybe some in the conference. You know, what can he do? What can he add to the Watford squad? You know, tell us what he can do, what areas you think. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because, I don't know, it's one thing I think I watch a game much differently now, 10, 15 years on from doing that, or 10 years on. Um, you stand on the sideline, don't you, and say, oh, why doesn't that lad track back? You know, uh, you know, and someone will say uh, this player doesn't track back, you know, lazy, never defends. But mm -hmm. if you sit near the dugouts, you can hear sometimes the manager saying stay high, stay high. So you can make a judgment on a player ill conceived and, and, you know, a poor assumption. But you haven't really found out a little bit, you know, like, you know, what I mean by that. It's just, yeah, 100 you, you can you can you can get the wrong answer because you haven't explored all, all the, the parts, really. So. Um, that's definitely something I think that there's loads of things, players that I work with every day, you know, have had a 10 year career. There's loads of things they can't do, but there's loads of things they're brilliant at, you know? So I think if you, it depends what your mindset is. I think it, it's how you approach it. We've got some great young players at our, our club that we're really excited about. And there's probably low, you know, you could list a hundred things they can't do, but if there's a lot of things they can do, the reason they've hung around for so long and we've got a, the young lad who's 19, he's sort of his first year out of scholar this year, known him since he was six years old. And people keep saying that it's lots of stuff he can't do, but he's still here. So he must be doing something right, you know. So 
Um, I definitely think there's a with analysis. I think you can you can really focus on two schools of thought. Really, I, I'm very much in the the positive kind of thing. And okay, how can we help you get this? Lift this up. If we do this, this will help you gain in this sense. Or and that can be off the field stuff as well, right? That can be you know how much do you invest in yourself in terms of time and recovery? How, how do you do? Do you get on a foam roller because I've asked you to, told you to, or because you want to? You know, do you do you make certain decisions in your diet and your lifestyle because you want to or because I'm telling you it's a, the thing that I think you should do but you don't really want to do it because you know it's, it's changing those habits isn't it that's that's how you get better when I'm not there are they still going to do it we we haven't got a chef in terms of like the, the big restaurants and canteens at Premier League clubs championship level clubs um, but we have got a chef that that makes lunch for the lads every day training days but that's probably including match day, what, say 300, let's approximate 300 feeds a season for those players. Well, they're going to eat 2,000 times a season, yeah. maybe more if we're getting into sort of four or five good meals a day. So all those habits that they're doing, we could have the best of the best of the best in what we're doing in those 300. But if they're not doing things right in the other, you know, thousands of feeds, we, we're going to go wrong or we're not going to, we're not going to reach the potential. So um, I think that's, that's definitely to think about really, you know, going back to your question about scouting, it's just, it's just looking at the player, you know, what, how do you, how do you see them speak to people that have worked with them? What sort of lad are they, you know, what, and, and you, I think as well, it's just being careful not to just everyone reach a certain textbook type of footballer. The, the different C's are brilliant. You know, we've got some lads that they hate the gym. You know, they they don't like it. They don't want to do the traditional gym program. They want it, but they can get strong in different ways. So, you know, you, you don't have to fit everyone in a box, everyone in a category. The Mavericks are also to be appreciated, don't they? they we, we love those sorts of players because they'll do something on the pitch. We just, wow. You know, they'll, they'll have the wow factor, but equally there'll be lads who are doing everything perfect just to stay at the same level. So yeah, you should embrace all those things. You know, it's, it's a broad spectrum. And I think in recruitment, um, you know, that would be, like, I'm no expert in that, but the time that I've spent in academy football uh, looking at younger players, it's, and all those, that data about, you know, September to November birth dates and, and being the higher, higher rate of in academy. But it's also those kids that are just early practices, you know, at seven, six, seven, eight in pre-academies, they've been the kid that's just had the opportunity, maybe a parent or a sibling or whatever it may be. So just ruling kids out at six, seven, eight and saying, right, that's it now. That's our recruitment done. Mm. You know, the game changes it in the sort of nines, tens, elevens, twelves. The pitches get bigger. That's a, you know, a different way for a player to express himself. And even 15, we've had some lads join us at 14, 15, 16 in our academy and done ever so well. So I don't think you should ever, ever stop in your recruitment and, and really looking at a player all the way through, really. And that, that might take a, a lad till they're 22, 23 to come through. Um, but if you've got a plan and you understand their journey, then then there's still a chance to make it. Yeah, definitely. I think that that mindset's really key because it, it switching to more of a positive mindset, focusing on the strengths, not only does that and highlights the sort of strengths that that player's got, but then the language that you're speaking in, to them in is a positive, wasn't isn't it? Because you're not saying, like yeah. you said, this is what you can't do. This is what you can do. This is how you're going to thrive. Yeah. 
I think that's a real, there's some really important takeaways from that um, in terms of how we approach things. Because it's also not to say that we're not going to bring up those weaknesses, are we? We just, it's just the way that that's we're right. talking about it. Exactly right. Yeah, and I think you can get in a real negative. You can cause that player to have a real negative mindset of, you know, you say, um, I don't know, you know, speak to the lads on a Monday after they've played for their loan clubs, you know, some of our younger lads out in step three, step four, and say, like, how was the game? And someone will just go, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and uh, Or they'll, you know, they're dealing absolutes, or they'll say, no, I wasn't very good. What do you think? Yeah. Well, not all, not all of it could have been, it must have been something good. And in the yeah. ones that say, I was brilliant, well, there was nothing you feel like you could reflect on. <laughs> you know, you're trying to teach them self-reflection at 19, but they're trying to be, you have to sort of break that down. They're trying to be bulletproof. They don't want to show a weakness because they think weakness might mean getting released and the journey's over at this football club. So you have to make them, you have to do that in a safe environment, don't you? You have to build their trust. You have to be able to give them direct, honest feedback. So Mark, our manager at the minute, has a he's got a brilliant way of doing it. He was a academy manager previously. And he just says, you know, if you're, if you don't want the answer, don't ask the question. Mm. So he's very much going to give you it in a real fair, calm, honest way. But it is it might not be the most comfortable thing you, you've heard, but it is not intended to hurt you. It's intended to try and help you. So I think if you've got lads that you can talk to once you get over the initial, you know, I was brilliant because I scored a goal or I was terrible because I scored an own goal. You can, if you get away from those absolutes, there's really good conversations to have between those bits that, you know, all right, let's break that down. Let's look at the video. Let's look at, you know, whatever else it may be with, with their coaching stuff. You can, if you try and teach that self-reflection from an early age, I think, um, I think you're onto a winner in, in life more than anything, because then yeah. you, a down day is just maybe a bad five minutes, not a, you know, a, a down week, a down month, you know, you, 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 tr- you can change your mindset really easily that in, in, in those habits. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like you said, it's not a, cu- a cookie cutter approach as well, isn't it? Like every player doesn't have to be the same. And uh, I no. don't know if you listen to the high performance podcast, but they had Kasper Schmeichel on it. And he spoke about that on there, about the Leicester team and how they were all so different. He spoke about the title winning yep. team. So the Mares the, against the Kante, um, against the Wes Morgans, like all the sort of different characters they had in those teams. And all yeah. the successful teams, we can think about those sorts of characters as well, can't we? So... The more yeah. we can get that down to academy players, that people can be different. Like we need different yeah. sorts of players, then that's that's where it starts, isn't it? Yeah, exactly right. I think that's that's so important. You know, I've done first team football for nine seasons now in a in a time where you know, the lower leagues. You know, I don't know people know a lot about the conference and league two, but a lot of lads working on one-year contracts, two-year. If you've got a three-year contract at our level, you've, that's some unbelievable security, you know. So um, there's different reasons why the club or a player wouldn't sign that long for, for different reasons. But, you know, you've got all those lads that I've worked with previously or today, they've all got different journeys. They're all at different stages of the career. They're either fallen out of a Premier League club or a championship club, you know, gone through maybe a scholarship in 23s and then not been offered something after. So you've got to try and get round them, they may be grieving a little bit, still feel like they're a bit of a failure maybe, or they're on the up and they're, you know, they're not too sure about, you know, what's this Cambridge United all about? You've got to build trust quite quickly, try and build them up about themselves maybe, or they're, you know, they're thinking about something in the past still, mate, you know, why did that happen? You've also got lads that have always played at this level, you know, they are the 
the journeymen of, of this level. They've done a great job. Conference League Two, they're playing, you know, League Two is their absolute limit, maybe. And then you've got players in between that are either using this as a bounce to, to, to move up, or there's so many different journeys and different stories within our just within our playing squad. And you multiply that by all the teams at this level. If you if you're trying to deal with them all the same, you, you're going to get a limited outcome, I think. And with that, from your point of view, for example, on on like the gym work or or potentially like the conditioning work that you do, how does that affect it? And I'm thinking more about the the contract situation um, with players. So if you know that you've got a player coming in, might be a loan, like a short term loan. How different yeah. does that make your approach to someone that you know that you've got there for maybe a couple of seasons? Yeah, I think in when I first came back and started this, I. I was very sort of fixed. Well, not fi- I was, I'm not as, uh, I wasn't as changeable and flexible as I am now. It's like, right, these are the programs. This is going to be the end goal. This is going to work. And it did work with a few players um, and, and worked really well with certain ones. Um, so a couple of lads got a move and those sort of things. You sort of trace, trace their body transformation over one, two years as a, as a bigger project. And then you sort of fall out with others that don't want to do it your way, maybe, or, or don't want to do it at all. So then you have to just change tack a little bit. And I think that's definitely the skill set I learned as a teacher that, you know, you can go into one class or even the same class on a different day and think, right, I'm going to deliver it in this way. The personality is in this class and they'll just throw it a different way. So you've got, okay, so now it's on me to try and flip this round and try and get something out of it. And I think that skill set that I learned as a teacher, um, and, and used a lot that I think we've got, you've got to try and find something that they work, put them at the center of it. So put the player at the center of it, right? You, we need to get you a certain element of strength, a certain element of speed, a certain element of mobility, what's going to work best for you. And you can't have, you know, we're, we're a small staff. We're, we're two and a half, three staff at any one time for 27 players in terms of conditioning and medical and all those sorts of things. So you can't have 27 completely different things going on but you can have lots of different things going on it it is possible if you work hard enough at it and have enough conversations with the player about what you like what you don't like what you've what's been good for you in the past you know when have you felt at your best so that's a good thing to focus on you know when was I my best and what did it feel like what was I doing at that time can we get something more aligned with that this is where I think you've got some gaps you know show them let them do it for a little while they'll come back with either I didn't like it or actually that was great. Can we do more of this? And if you just have that conversation all the time and you're up front with, cause at the end of that, they're, they're just people trying to be successful. You know, they've, they're like me, they've got, some have got kids and a mortgage. Some we're, you know, in the East of England, we've got lads from up in Liverpool that live down here a couple of nights a week and mm. got lads from Sheffield that, you know, they're away from their missus, away from their kids. I'd feel the same if I was them, you know, it, it's, you got to try and, see the world through their eyes a little bit more and see what what's their aims You're like what where do you see the next two or three years what what do you really want to do and those that are thinking like I want to go and play in the championship okay so if we're going to try and get to championship level these are the things you're going to have to add to your game these are things that you're going to have to live to try and compete at that level a you've got to try and get in our team so first of all you've got to get in the 11 that the boss picks on a Saturday Tuesday and then you've got to be one of the best players in that team and then you've got to be one of the best players in the league to get up the level, up the level, up the, that's how it works, isn't it? That's that's the natural pecking order, really. You've got to be really consistent. So how can we get some consistent routines around you in the mornings, before training? You know, arrival time isn't just a target time. is isn't just you have to 
you know there's time in the morning before that will be at the training ground two and a half hours before you the target time to arrive by so there's things we can do covid has changed that a little bit but there's still ways we can work safely and sensibly around that everyone clears off in the afternoon you know whatever time they go we're still around you know there's still time in the afternoon there's there's 168 hours of the week there's there's more time than you really think about how you want to want to use that time when you say I haven't got time so I think those sorts of conversations with players are always useful and look it's not going to be sunshine and flowers every time but I think the more you can hold the mirror up to players and say look this is how I'm seeing how you're behaving what you're doing at the moment rather than you know looking out the window at something that happened in the past and maybe blaming others it was this coach's fault he didn't you know that's why I haven't made it to there you can get rid of those conversations over a period of time really and build that trust and build that resource around them and then it's down to the player you know the player's got to commit to every rep got to commit to being there got to commit to doing the right things from hydration nutrition recovery those are all active parts of their day not just you know I'm just going to go and eat and sleep. Those are yeah. those are really important athlete qualities, aren't they? So um, I, th- I think if you're getting all of that around a player, think yourself, give yourself a great chance of being successful as a player. And then you give yourself a great chance of having a good environment, a good environment, good performances, good performances, hopefully positive results. Yeah. And what I said before about getting a bit of an overview about the season. So in, I, I don't just mean in terms of the sort of standing currently in the table, because obviously people can go and check that out. But obviously it isn't. It's an impressive season so far as well. But I was thinking more from your point of view as well in terms of player availability, like generally how how the season's gone. Obviously we've had the restrictions as well um, that have all been in place. So how things gone for for you um, so far this season? Yeah, I think um, like the, the, they've been excellent. I think there's a lot of moving parts to that I think um, the recruitment of people brought into the the club by you know the senior staff you know those those new players they brought in have, have definitely helped the existing staff we've we've got a really good staff you know really purposeful all pulling in the same direction there's real cohesion and alignment with what we're doing we've got an excellent manager who's really organized knows what he wants really clear that was clear from you know during all of lockdown really how we were going to start what was going to be the case what pre-season was going to look like and I think when you've got that I think it makes it so much easier for everyone the sort of ripple effect of one decision right are we going to do this and on this day we're doing this and we've all spoke into it this is the plan that everyone's agreed on right you need to get on with your little sub part of that and that makes the day the the week the month so much easier it just makes everything so much more organized because you know what you need to deliver on certain days um, and I think that helps. There's no sort of rush and panic. You can be set up. You know, there's nothing better. I think when you, for players just to walk into a, an environment and everything's organised and the session's set out and you're not having conversations at, you know, 20 minutes before you go out on the grass that, you know, do we sure we want to do this? Do you want to talk? Everything's just, you know, and the, the decisions to make are in the sort of cold light of um, off-season. So, like, how what does the week look like? You know, we've got regardless of results because that's when things get clouded don't they you know I, yeah. I have massive respect for every manager I've worked with purely because every three days they get judged in the national press if not more because uh, they're the face of it you know we we get judged as a club but they've got to go they've got to be the one in front of the camera if there's if we go you know, Saturday Tuesday Saturday and we have three losses you know the pressure's on them hugely so our job as support staff really is to take away that pressure as much as we can to try and 
Uh, that's not to just agree and live in some sort of echo chamber of yes, 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 boss. It's more to say, look, I don't think we should do that. Mm. that you know, so the, the natural reaction after maybe a result that's negative on a Tuesday is to work really hard, probably maybe too hard Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but actually he's trying to say, well, the outcome of this is Saturday. You're going to have a team that's not as fresh and you're going to be even more annoyed around five o'clock on Saturday, boss. So it's just trying to say, you know, like you, you've got to try and speak truth to power a bit, haven't you? You've got to be confident enough in your relationship with the manager at that time, massive empathy for them, but you've got to try and save them from themselves sometimes of just not tell them they're wrong, not telling them no, because that's a, you know, that can be a, a bad combination, but just trying to let them know the outcomes of what it is. So you've got some between us, we've got lots of physical knowledge in, um, in the stuff that I work with and on load and what the players you know, current load going is the next bit is, you know, all those different things in a real science way, but they don't want to, you know, you don't need to put it over in a real science way. You can put it in a coach's language. You can put it in a football language. I think that's from that background of coaching for so many years, I can, I think that's something I can do quite well. I can, I can put that across in a way that doesn't blow, you know, isn't loads of graphs and statistics and numbers and data. That's for us to really know about, and to feed in the right bits that the manager wants to know and needs to know. And, and we can, you know, assimilate an answer around that. Um, yeah. I think that's crucial. I think it's absolutely crucial. So, think- so really this season has, has really, you know, helped that we've, we've split because of COVID we've split gym into more parts. We've, we've done more gym before, you know, in a more controlled way, A to know which equipment we've got to clean and, you know, all those different things. And then it's, been a much more staged method it's been harder in the winter we haven't got the you know and we're not allowed indoors we've got a big sort of wetting marquee uh that's uh, that's not sealed and pretty blustery and if it rains hard <laughs> and there's snow you're getting wet and a bit cold but it's actually quite the joy of Cambridge United really we've always tried to be achieve in the face of adversity really and you know those have been there quite a few years that's just the, always been the challenge you know just keep going despite our resources rather than because of them so um, you want players who actually are going to dig in. You know, we're going to go, like I say enough off camera earlier, we're going to Bolton tonight. Um, it's going to be a real tough game, you know, real tough game. So you want players when the whistle goes that are going to be tough and resilient and you can't just switch it on like a light switch. So if the training ground's a little bit cold and things aren't perfect, I, I don't actually mind that all the time. We want the best for the players, but actually you want to build that daily resilience. You have to embrace the grind. You have to mm-hmm. embrace the grind. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to get in at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and then going to get up and work again tomorrow. And if you're not in for the grind in professional football, this definitely isn't the industry for you. You know, it is relentless in that sense. You know, there's not, there's, there's more dark down days and dark days and bad news than there is good news. I've, I've found over nine seasons, 100%. Yeah. So you, you have to prepare players for that in a tough way, but also it's all right to smile. You could, it's okay to smile after you've lost, you know, it's not a competition to use the, most upset and the most annoyed on a Monday morning, you know, when you come into work, you know, it's another day that the game's gone, we'll, we'll crack on again. And that environment is so crucial to be, Mark says it a lot, really, manager, you know, you have to be the mood, don't you? They, they look to you to be the mood. So if you're, you know, straight away, it's like they're a bit guarded and they might have had a really good Sunday with their kids and wife, and then you've come in and you've seen your face like sour as a lemon. <laughs> they, they are, oh, you've ruined my mood now. Yeah. So why would you take that away? You know, it's not, um, it doesn't mean they don't care. It just means, we're all grown ups and mature and we know there's 46 games in a season. So crack on. 
If you're a coach looking for the next opportunity or a coach potentially struggling to get your foot in the door or get yourself an interview, then you need to go and check out our latest webinar we have uploaded onto our community. So Exos Performance Coach Matt Jones has delivered a superb webinar around creating opportunities. So it's a must watch for coaches out there. He talks about what your CV should look like to give yourself the best chance of landing the job you want. He talks about how to stand out in a very saturated market, as well as loads of other aspects of creating opportunities within strength conditioning or sports science. So you need to go and check it out. If you're not already a member of our online community, you can get yourself a free month by going to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top, go through the whole sign-up process there. It only takes a couple of minutes. That will give you one month free on the community. After that free month, it is only £4.99 per month, and you'll get access to all the current webinars and presentations that are available on there. But you also get all the discounts that we've got. So we've partnered up with a loads of great other companies, including Soccer Supplement, Pulse Roll, School of Calisthenics, and we'll be announcing a few more very soon as well. So you can take advantage of some of the discounts that are on there as well. So if you're not already a member, head over to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Matt Walker. I think that's a great point in terms of the resources, though, because we all sort of dream, don't we, of having like the the Man City facility, like having it all singing, all dancing. But like you said, there's a lot of sort of attributes and a lot of aspects of culture that are being built when players are going working out in like a like you said, like a, a marquee outside. It brings everyone yeah. together. It is yeah. there's a lot more to it, isn't there? And it's not to say that we want to do that all the time and that wants to be a long-term thing. But no, no. We have to sort of like you said, we have to embrace it, don't we? And it's the way we go yeah. about it. And again, it comes back to what you mentioned at the start, switching to that positive sort of mindset in that, yeah, we can still get stuff done. Like it's fine. We can still get the work done. We'll be fine. And and approaching it like that, isn't it? Yeah. And and I think if you poke fun at it and say to the lads, look, I know it's not very good in, yeah. at certain points, but what do you want to do about it? You know, this is the hand we've been dealt. We're going to, and we're still going to win. Yeah. We can still win doing this. Yeah. We're going to work out where there's ducks standing in a puddle nearby, but <laughs> it'll be all right. Yeah. Trust me, it'll be okay. And, and that comes down to making sure, you know, your staff, your players, everything is all in alignment. I think in, times when it hasn't been as successful maybe those things aren't you know aren't perfectly in line so I think that's um yeah I think that's absolutely crucial it's absolutely crucial no I think Bill, Bill Belichick said it once I don't know the exact quote but reading a book of his once he said you know I don't wine and dine and the Patriots players in fancy restaurants and uh you know five course meals when I'm trying to recruit them because I'm going to ask them to work to their physical limits every day in training. They're going to look at me and think, well, that's not what he said. You know, yeah. that's, that's not what he said over the Michelin star meal. So it's a great point, isn't it? We're, yeah. we're going to be honest with people. This is Cambridge United. This is what we are. This is what we can give you. This is what we're going to do for you. Like then it's, then it's their decision, really. Everyone coming into an open eye. There's no, um, you know, don't take them somewhere else and then take them to, you know, and I, I'm not speaking too ill of our training ground. We're, we're delighted with it. You know, it's lovely eight, nine months a year, but like anywhere, when it gets cold and wet, it suffers a little bit, but you know, there's plenty worse off than us or better off than us, but you just, just got to try and level the playing field all the, all the time, haven't you? you know? But players are going to go through that in a game, aren't they? 
like you said, you got 100%. a subject to Bolton tonight. Or you're, but also thinking about sort of Premier League away in a cup game to a lower yeah. league club, like that's where that's where the attitudes and that's where they're tested, aren't they? And that and this is exactly, where they're yeah. built from. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's why they've survived the journey. You know, there's lots of lots of negativity about academy football, about the number of players that it spits out and, you know, and, and rightly so in some ways of making sure they're prepared for life. But even in academy football, you know, the, the best academies and in, in that sense and been fortunate to work with some great staff. Everyone just focus on the journey. You know, isn't it brilliant that yeah, we've got our under, you know, pre-COVID, our younger age groups go on, a sort of weekend tournament to Germany, you know, what did you do when you were 11 mm. on that Saturday, Sunday? Oh, I played against Bayern Munich. And what did you do? <laughs> oh, I was just down the park with my mates. You know, like, <laughs> just, you don't play football just to be a professional footballer. Mm. That, that is the outcome for some players. And, but academies can be so much more than that. They can be a so much more powerful journey. It's not just the destination. If you get obsessed with the destination in anything, in, you know, like uh, I'll give you a different example. So we're trying to appoint a first-team analyst at the minute. So I'm handling all the applications for that at the minute. We've had over 350 applicants. Well, some 349, say, are going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. So it's not just academy football. In life, there's disappointment that you have to deal with and bounce the next one. So if if we're not too careful, we're going to build a generation where actually we're just going to focus on failure because you didn't get the outcome. But there's so many more, there's so much more to it than that, that you can develop the person so much more along the journey. And then the outcome is actually the bonus ball, not the only thing where you measure yourself. So we're really, you know, my, I keep going back to my background in education, really, that try and prepare players for lots of different things. If you just define yourself as a footballer and then Saturday doesn't go very well and then you look at your phone, you're getting battered on social media, that is a bad, bad moment. So we mm. try and educate, A, the players about who they let follow them on social media and all those things. But that, you know, that's just young people in, in some ways. Some need that, that engagement and they need to chase likes. That's fine. That doesn't, that doesn't matter so much. But if you don't identify as a son, as a brother, as a husband, as a partner, as someone who's pretty good at finance, someone who's good golfer, some, all these other things that you are, then you're going to, on you're on the road to real negativity because then you might get left out of the team and then you see your whole life as a failure because the sole purpose for you being alive is to be a footballer which I don't necessarily agree with we've got you know one our captain Greg he's he's going to be a qualified mortgage advisor pretty soon um Harrison our left winger left back he's done a degree in business management he's going to be a qualified solicitor by the time he finishes playing Mm. you know we've got we've got players who are more than that because they've understood that it's actually there's more to it than this. This football is is brilliant. It's an amazing thing. They we live an unbelievably privileged life to it. A work through the whole pandemic, but also to do what we do um, every day. But also that it doesn't have to be the only thing that defines you. You know, you're gonna you're gonna not play football for more of your life than you play football. Yeah. So let's That's just make sure say. we've got enough support around you for when that transition into non-football life. Whenever it happens, football might choose might spit you out because you don't get a club or might get an injury and all those different things that we know in the, the dangers of the game, the risk and reward. So let's just make sure you've got some hobbies that can become an income and we can monetize that as you go along. Because you know, I'm not dealing with lads that are going to retire off their earnings. They can make some real sensible finance decisions during their time with us, but they're not going to retire at whenever they retire, early, mid-30s and, uh, 
and that's it. They've, they've done life. They're going to have to work. So it's yeah. getting them prepared for that. And you can do that in lots of different ways. Yeah, I was going to say that. It's a short career, isn't it? And yeah, yeah 100%. I think that people get too high on the highs and too low on the lows then as well, don't they, when all their eggs are in one basket. I suppose the question from that is, especially people working with academy ages, how do you go about getting that message across? Because it's very hard, isn't it, with those, especially those younger players that are looking up, they're looking at the Premier League, they're looking at the lifestyle. It might be like yeah. materialistic things that they're trying to strive for or watch or whatever, whatever it is now that they want. To get that message across and to, to say, embrace the journey, like do all the things that you said, which I fully agree with. To, but to speak to a, a, a child into an academy player about that is quite a hard lesson, isn't it? So... What, what would you say about that? What's the sort of, is there any sort of takeaways, any bits of advice that you give any other coaches in that same situation about talking to players about that? Yeah, I think it's just making sure they're in, the key thing is you just enjoying it, you know, just, just get that. If you can still run out your car, you know, as a kid and love the session and jump back in and not feel like you're going to be measured, tested, analysed, scrutinised yeah. in every yeah. moment of your, your thing, it, I think it just keeping that joy, and that's harder for obvious reasons as they get older because they understand the pressures a little bit more and they start comparing themselves to others. And I think if you're just trying to be the best version of you, then then that's success and how you how you deliver that can be done in lots of different ways. But if you just look at them benchmarking themselves against themselves, not someone else, or you know, he's not in the top three in this age group anymore, and maybe we're gonna have to, as long as they, you get this showing that this person and that's what they are at the end of the day they're a they're a person they're a human being not a he's not he's no he's not for me get you know we're gonna have to release him you know mm. i don't like talking in those sorts of ways that's someone's child you know so yeah. it, if you're talking about right how can what's the most self-improvement we can get into this player all the way through and there's a real plan all the way through whatever happens at the end you can say you did right by them because you can document all those things of all those opportunities they've had, all the ways that they've improved. Look at, you know, we were, I was saying to my kids the other day, you know, about a year on, you know, because it's nearly a year since the dreaded homeschool started, you know, of lockdown and everything. But all the things they couldn't do a year ago, you know, look at look how computer savvy you are now. Look how much you can, you know, you'd never heard of Zoom. You can do this, this, this. You can click on that. You can, you know, you look at all these things you've taught yourself over the year, not just because of school but you've you know my lad's starting keep-ups my daughter doing skipping you know all those things that they couldn't do a year on because they've got this gift of time and a bit of flexibility in their day but because they didn't go to school doesn't mean they didn't stop learning yeah so if this whole academy process can become a, a bit of a factory a bit of a conveyor belt a bit of a let's just produce a professional footballer that that is ultimately how we all get judged in, in academy football and productivity. But the people around that can do that in a such a safer, more purposeful way if, you, if you're child-centred all the way through it and you're educating the parents about it and the parents think it's still brilliant even when things might not be going so well. You know, you've educated everyone about that. Of course, there's going to be disappointment. I have sat down across a table from a parent and release players it is one of the worst things you'll ever have to do and you shouldn't ever underestimate that moment but I think if you've if you've done all the right things all the way up to that and you've been honest all the way through and you've fed back regularly and you've said the right things and done the right things that doesn't have to be such a 
horrendously emotional negative night it's like um the the different metaphor for it is when i used to teach a level piece i i taught secondary three years and taught a sec uh, sixth form college for eight years you'd see students going in on results day oh mr walker i'm just so nervous so nervous so i can be nervous about it but if you've done the graft for two years mm. the outcome is going to be all right yeah you know, the outcomes that doesn't mean if you work really hard in the academy you're definitely going to be a professional at this football club but you're going to be a good enough footballer to play football at a good level for the rest of your days you know there's loads of lads who were at Watford at the time so are say 10 12 years into their journey now they're still playing at a really good level mm. you know someone like George Byers he didn't get a he didn't his career didn't keep going at Watford but he ended up going to Swansea's on loan at Portsmouth at the minute you know there's it doesn't have to be just that football club. At the end of the day, it's that there's so much goes into whether the club see the pathway for you. You know, our club, we don't run an under 23s because we haven't got the budget for it. So we don't have that extra team in between our scholars and our first team. So we take a small number of players. That's going to be a factor. Mm-hmm. How can we, have we got a pathway for those players to get into our first team? So it might not be right, the journey from our, our football club, but it might be somewhere else that you might make that journey but we can get you to a level at, by the time you finish your scholarship at 18 and then make an, you know, do we see there's still growth in you, all those sorts of things. But that doesn't have to mean it's the end of football. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of football clubs. You can make that next step somewhere else if you need to, or you want to. It's the start of a journey for a lot of players though, isn't it? Like yeah. at the time, obviously it's going to be disappointing. I, I heard Sean Wayne talk about this as well, and I'm not a massive rugby fan, but um, obviously ex-Wigan Warriors, I think he's now England's... England yeah, player, yeah. He? he said about it, he said when when he was releasing players, they knew already that yeah. it was going to happen because of the conversations that they had along the way. And that, for me, that makes complete sense because it shouldn't be too much of a shock either way, really, should it? No, if, if no, I think that's the worst thing. That's yeah, the worst thing. Yeah, a room and, thinking. And, and from a coach, oh, that's probably their not their fault, but the blame has to kind of be on their side that they've not had that interaction enough with the player to let them know where they're at. One hundred percent. Because you can make it nice all season, can't you? Yeah, he's doing great. Yeah, he's doing great, and then yeah. you, that, that's being disingenuous, then, isn't it? You, you're not giving all the information, and that is. That is what it is, unfortunately. You know, there's a very few positions for that and there's lots of players. So football clubs will look at lots of players and it's not just one person's decision. It's a group of staff and you'd hope from an educated point of view about pathways and potential and all those different things. Um, Not everyone's going to be successful at everything they do in life, but just because these, going back to the analysts that I'm, going to let down politely, you know, and send them all a nice email saying, unfortunately, haven't got through to the next stage. That doesn't mean their journey as an analyst ends because they didn't get a job at Cambridge United. Mm. Some might choose something different or some might not have actually been qualified to do it. They weren't good enough to get into the next filter process. They, you know, maybe they haven't even got a qualification in performance analysis. So you have to look at all the aspects about it. You know, it's, it's a difficult, difficult area. It's really difficult. But I think if you manage it well, all the way round and try and turn out rounded, grounded people, then the outcome is actually much safer and much calmer. Definitely, definitely. And talking of a, a calm environment, maybe not so calm <laughs> at times, we're going to take you to pitch side because we're okay. going to talk about 
sort of the scrutiny around injuries. So on a game day, and a, and a lot of practitioners will be able to relate to this. A player goes down injured, the manager might turn and just give you that look as if yeah. to say, "Why has that happened?" So I wanted to yeah. talk to you about the confidence behind being able to have a conversation at that time, and the confidence behind your your pra- your coaching practice that it hasn't always been your fault or hasn't hasn't mm-hmm. been your fault around that injury occurring. So yep. what are your experiences with that? Because everyone's going to have experienced this in some for, uh, some shape or form. Probably it's probably had people that have been confident behind what they do, but then also people that have maybe caved with that conversation mm. as well. I think in the raw moment that it happens, you have to just absorb it and swallow it. I don't, one thing, uh, you know, I'd definitely say to anyone, my advice would be to, is not zoom into that moment. You know, there's heightened emotions. Sometimes people say things they don't necessarily mean in the cold light of day. Um, that doesn't mean you have to be passive or soft or being quiet. all right sometimes that you can just take in that moment and reflect and make sure when you do speak and you give an answer, you've sort of got all your ducks lined up. So, you know, there's so many reasons why players can get an injury um you know the, the it's limitless really but I think if you get your if you've got all your facts lined up about that particular problem so it might have been I don't know someone who's been pushed back into the team maybe a bit earlier than they were ready uh there's, there's so many different reasons is you know a, a recurrence of a soft tissue injury that you know maybe hasn't healed you know the tissue tolerance isn't quite there yet and and their training load hasn't been built up over a period of time the length of time maybe they've played saturday tuesday saturday in a time period where you know their body is just not able to do that and and the outcome is is the injury and then really sometimes some of those injuries can look quite bad at the time but a player can be back training in four to five training days mm-hmm. so if you've made a real jump in decision into a and made a you know, poured flame you know poured fuel on a on a fire already that's burning you can make the the next bit really difficult for yourself as a practitioner I think um man like I said I wouldn't stand a day in a manager's shoes you know working closely with managers when you when you're in the same office as them um or you see them so much you you, you see the pressures on them from above from board from CEO, from fans, from, you know, lads not in the team, you know, they must have, I'd say easily, uh, the manager has 150 interactions a day. Easily. So Mm. when you get your moment in that, you want to try and bring in solutions. You don't want to just bring more problems or you want to present a, you want to present a broad subject of say that this has happened today or this is where I'm thinking for this player and you then evidence it from a real informed point of view, try and find as many objective things as you can, but also try and be quite intuitive. My thoughts are this, you know, you can be subjective about that and that's what experience brings you. Look, from knowing this player, this is what I think might happen. This is what I think we could do over this next week. This is the best case. Um, but usually, you know, I say it, with uh, Mikey, our physio a lot, you know, and, and Chris, who I know you've spoke to before, and Nick Irwin was a physio before that, you know, they're usually the deliverer of bad news because they're mm. saying to a manager, no, he's not fit or no, you're not going to see him for a lot of time. So you have to be really careful how that personal relationship builds because that, you know, it's a professional moment. It doesn't have to be your personal relationship. So how you deliver that 
news. You, you're basically saying to a manager, you know, you haven't got all your all your bullets for the battle. So I could, that's really tough for a manager. Like I said, if you're on a on a losing streak or whatever, you know, you have to you have to understand it from their point of view more than just you. It's not you just saying, oh, I can't get this lad fit for you. You have to understand that they've now got to pick a team that maybe isn't the team they wanted to pick for a certain game that's you know always important. Every game's important. So that's that is the the really the the cauldron of it all, really. I think if you if you dive in and I've seen it happen, if you try and fight fire with fire in that initial moment, nothing good happens. You know, if you try and say, you know, don't take any responsibility or you try and apportion blame to something else, or I think you can. I think that's a real slippery slope in terms of your relationship because the most important thing is you've got the trust of the manager. He he's trusting you. You see those players when he's not around. So whether you you might not always agree with what the training session is that day, but at any moment it might not fit your own personal you know philosophy on what the best way to deliver that team. But that doesn't actually matter. It's not mm. about you. It's about the team. And if the manager ultimately takes all the information in and says, no, we're doing this this week, then crack on with it. So when you're in with the players in the gym and there might be a bit of, you know, groaning and moaning in the corner, you have to nip that in the bud quickly. You have to, you know, you have to make sure that that's not happening. You have to, you have to frame the mindset when he's not around. That's your responsibility. You're not there to go, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's, that's not what it's all about. You know, you have to, speak into those conversations as staff and then walk out the room, right? 100% agreement and, and back everything because most of the time you'll agree, you know, no, I work with many managers, if any, that, you know, want to destroy players all week and then expect them to hit high numbers and perform to their physical best on a Saturday. So they'll all want to try and make the game slightly different. I think the only time is maybe, what is it? Six managers in nine seasons, probably seen five, if not six different ways of doing pre-season. Yeah. I think that's the probably the only time about the games program or, you know, whether we're going to go away. Sometimes the budget doesn't allow, but how they set up those six weeks in preparation for game one, that might be a combination of things, you know, their personal preference when they were a player, what, what went well at previous clubs they've done, what, who they've spoke to at different clubs. So you have to, you haven't got all the answers. And I think if you go into it thinking you have, then you're probably in the wrong place. You know, it's, you're going to be disappointed at some point. And then what about the focus on injury records against results? Because we talk a lot, don't we, about like the records of injuries in terms of availability. But yeah. what's your experience with managers on focuses, focusing on that? Uh, and what I'm thinking is that if, a, if a team are performing well, but their injury record isn't great, like, is that a concern or is it, you know, and vice versa? What's the sort of balance that you're looking for that you've experienced with, with managers yeah, on that? I, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, sort of alludes to the conversation we had, isn't it? It's like, um, you know, I spoke to our previous manager, Colin Coldwood, and he said, you know, I sort of the, you know, would you rather moments, you know, you sit on a bus for hours, don't you, for hours and hours and hours of your life and you're around each other all the time. So you have these conversations, you know, would you rather, you know, 15, 20% of your squad unavailable, but you're in and around the playoffs. And I think he'd probably take that, you know, in the, you know, it depends, you know, you'd never want to see anyone injured. You want everyone available, but actually you can pat yourself on the back a little bit as a performance team, sports science, medical, whatever you want to call it, that uh, we've got everyone, no one's injured, mm. but have you really, you know, have we really stretched the players? Have we, have we pushed them a little bit? You'd never ever want to cause injuries. You want to do everything you can 
to prevent that. But we would say we've had a really good injury prevention record this year, you know, soft tissue wise, but we've probably had our worst season in terms of surgery. We've had a couple of dislocated shoulders, um, lads going in for hip surgery that, that's needed to happen. We've had one of our scholars catastrophic incident on his ankle. So he's had sort of reconstruction on that. So whilst the, in, the treatment room hasn't been busy in lots of ways for, for short-term soft tissue stuff, we've still had a bad year in terms of lads having, you know, missing a lot of time out because of, you know, complete, complete restructuring um, or surgery in a, in a major joint. So I think it's getting the balance right. You know, if you, if you get in a lot of the similar injury, so if it's loads and loads of hamstring injuries, I think there's a problem. I think um, anything else like collisions and things like that, you, you can't mm. legislate for It's, you know, concussions, especially now, which is brilliant. The, the new concussion protocols that are, you know, we've finally caught up with as football with other sports, you know, you could argue we're a little bit behind say rugby still and, and sports like that, but all those things are, are the norm. You know, we played against Salford away a few weeks back and Peter Clark and Harrison Dunk went up for a header both came down horizontal on a pitch that was freezing mm-hmm. um, and was frozen probably by the end of the game and you know I think Peter Clark he, he spent three and a half weeks out of, the, out of the team out of training because he's literally landed on concrete you know it is a brutal game these are committed lads who are going to be forceful in moments so those collisions are going to are going to happen so if you if you're not comfortable that players are going to get injured then again like this isn't the job for you. You know, there's, I could pick seven or eight of the lads that are playing tonight that have got ongoing problems that aren't hundred percent fit. You know, we're on to game plus priest season. I think this is game 43 of our season tonight in March. Mm-hmm. And we've played Saturday. We've played every three days for the last two and a half weeks. No one's going into tonight feeling wonderful. <laughs> no one's feeling, ah, I feel like, you know, like a spring lamb. Yeah. No one is feeling like that but they're going to grind through it and their pain is tolerable and they'll do the very best they can. And, you know, they'll get better and better as the night goes on. And then they're going to sit on a bus back to Cambridge and we're going to travel up again to Oldham on Friday night to play Saturday. You know, that, that is professional sport. Yeah. It it hurts. It's painful. It's tough. Mm. The more you spend more and more time stretching and getting manipulated than you'd probably do anything at this time of year. You know, the, players are working hard on themselves all the time so um that is that like i said you've got to embrace the grind of it all you, we can do all we can to mark's been very good in terms of rotating certain players but some lads they get picked every game and, mm. and they'll just push on they'll push on and maybe that's another trait of why they're still playing at this level and for this many years you know that's why they are a professional because they can they can just keep going they can endure yeah, 100%. I think it's some great stuff in there. Now, I am wary of time a little bit because I know you've got the, the beautiful trip up to the Northwest hey. very soon. So um, we'll dive into the last bit. Here. We'll just go into some of the quick fire questions, starting with who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, so first one is really straightforward. Uh, a guy called Jess George, who was head of youth at Cambridge then became manager um, gave him my first job. So um, it was a bit of a test really. He, um, so I said, I, you know, I wanted to, to coach within the academy. So he gave me, um, he gave me a bit of a graveyard shift. So he gave me a th- under 13 sort of shadow squad on a Saturday at three o'clock. 
till five. Um, and I toughed that out and I thought, right, I'm going to make this the best session in the weekly calendar for the academy. Um, I think he probably wanted to see if I really wanted to be a coach. So, um, <laughs> you know, if I really was, had what it took to, because, you know, gave me the most unpopular session time. Um, so, yeah, and then he, he gave me my job here in the first team. Um, he was manager at the time. He's gone on. He's now um, head of football at Lincoln City. They're, they're going great. Mm. Um, so I'd say Jez would be one. Um, Nick Cox and John Stevenson, who I worked with at Watford. Um, Nick's gone on to, to great things. Um, he's probably my best mate in football. Um, he's been gone on to be Sheffield United academy manager and now manager, uh, academy manager of Man United, you know, the biggest club in the world in many ways. Um, yeah, I'm fiercely proud of him and what he's achieved and, and how he's doing the job up there. You know, he, he talks so well about children and, and all those different things. You know, he's not got, he's not changed his values from sitting in a porter cabin at Watford mm. um, to now with all the resources he could possibly want at his fingertips, but he's still the same person. Uh, John equally, John was sort of head of football business operations at Watford and, um, you know, he is the most organised, systematic, strategic person I've ever met and had the privilege to work for. Um, he sort of opened my eyes to, to so much in, in my time at Watford and, um, you know, we're still in touch now. And then I'd say every manager, really, every manager I've worked for since has, I've taken something away from still very good friends with quite a few of them. So I think that's quite a good thing. Um, it shows there was some there was a sort of positive relationship along that time. We still keep in touch um some of them you know they've all gone on to different things now but um i think if you don't take something from every situation then you know it's pretty you know it's not a very good judge of, of that situation is it so i think all those managers have had a, have a big influence on how i operate now every day awesome next one what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner um i'd say it was I think it's born out of my, my childhood, really, because we move so much. You sort of become this sort of nomadic kid who can strike up friendships pretty quickly mm. and find some common ground. And I didn't realise that at the time. And I probably didn't realise that until I started teaching that I had this ability, really, just to find common ground with people and to try and make conversation and try and make them feel at ease and try and find some empathy. And, and I think that really that helps me massively, you know, Eve. So I don't know, January window, we take in four new players, um, two from Spurs, one from West Ham and one lad from Coventry. And within a couple of days, you feel like you know them really well, professionally enough anyway. You've yeah. got some handle on their background, what life's like for them, what their view is on different things. You know, you, you try and find out without giving them 100 million questions on day one. You try and start pretty organic conversations. But I think I can get people at ease and get them feeling comfortable in my, around me to then work together professionally um, really quickly. I'd say that is my biggest strength, yeah, which has to be because that said, I've worked with nearly 200 players in nine seasons. So mm. uh, it's a, that's a big challenge, big challenge. Yeah. And then next one, what would you say, uh, is there any sort of CPD that stands out for you that you might have done recently or seen? So not necessarily just like, courses or seminars and stuff because I, I know there's not much of that going on at the moment but it might be like podcasts yeah. webinars um any bits of research is there anything that you've sort of seen that that stands out um so 
there's a couple of things I've done in the last sort of four or five seasons that I've really enjoyed. The, the FA did the Physical Performance Award. They're not running that currently, but I, I really enjoyed that. There wasn't necessarily something massive that, you know, in terms of block of learn, it was more about how to operate as a practitioner, which is sort of level three, sort of equivalent to a B license. So I'd really hope they bring that back. I think everyone that's done that course has really enjoyed it. Um, the other one I did was the Exos Performance Specialist, yeah. which you can do online. I really enjoyed that. That was just something similar to what I do every day, but different um, and gave you sort of a bit of an academic stimulus. Um, and in terms of CPD, really, I think things like, you know, what you're doing, I, I said it to you before when we, we first chatted, I think you shouldn't underestimate the power that a lot of these podcasts have had of giving people access to each other in a, a fairly formal way that you just listen and, and stuff. But during lockdown, that that's really been a bit of a savior of mine, you know, listening to yourself talk to your guests and um and to, to other podcasts like the, the one you said the, the high performance podcast things like that trying to little take home nuggets and um rob pacey stuff you know there's lots of different ones around that maybe you know differ maybe in in who they have on which is a good thing um i think all those things you shouldn't ever turn down they're easy just to to fit we don't have a big budget for cpd and all those sorts of things so having a podcast they're not on a journey or going out for a run i think is uh you know, an, an, an easy way to just keep yourself, you know, keep yourself ticking over it, it, until the conferences and when you can network and, and get together and chat face to face starts again. Yeah. Hopefully not too far off of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, final ones, mate. What would you say the most important or one of the most important traits to have um, for a coach is? Um, There's so many. Oh, I think move, removing ego from it, remembering that, you know, uh, you know, I couldn't tell you when I was operating in the academy, I was assistant academy manager at Watford and centre of excellence manager at Cambridge. I couldn't tell you by the Monday morning what the results were on a Saturday, Sunday. So I think if you can get away from the my under 14s won 9 0 or yeah. we lo- my team lost 3 0, no one let it player development so much more than that they're just a you know a group of players that might be like playing up playing down it's not really a team and even then you've got the responsibility if you're running just a local youth team you've got the responsibility these kids just want to enjoy playing football it's not about you so if you can remove you from the situation and you are the facilitator for this amazing experience that you've created I think that is uh, that is my my biggest thing even now you know I, I have to try and do I don't know, 270 warm-ups a season. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you've got, yeah, they'd be purposeful and they have to do the right thing, but sometimes they're out to have a bit of fun and, you know, you know they're out to laugh, you know, just because they're a grown man, they can laugh at each other and, you know, all those different things. You can bring enjoyment into someone's life. I think if you can do that, you've, you've cracked life a little bit, really. Definitely. What a great thing to be able to do to make people smile and laugh and enjoy and, and, don't, they say, you know, when I was a teacher, they don't, people don't really remember what you said and what you taught them. You know, when I was teaching a Krebs cycle to A-level PE students, no one really, no one really remembers that lesson. They no. just remember how they felt in your lesson. Yeah. That they had fun. They really enjoyed it. They made some great mates for life. And that's really what it is, I think. 100%. And then the final one, I think you've answered this quite a bit throughout the podcast, but we'll see if you want to add anything to it. But the most important trait for a player, I'm thinking the players that you've had probably had the biggest impact with, 
that have maybe been the easiest yeah. to work with? Is there any sort so, anything that sort of stands out? Um, I'd, if I was going to categorise them, I'd definitely say self reflection. Yeah, I think being being really comfortable with what you don't know and you haven't achieved yet, and not putting limits on yourself, and then trying to put them into some sort of order of what needs doing and committing to it. I think that's the the best thing. So I'd say the best example or the most not extreme example, but the lad who, who lived that journey, a lad called Will Norris, who you may or may not have heard of. He um, joined us from a local team, senior team in, in step three, step four. Um, he was 17, never been in the academy, goalkeeper, good keeper, but played a lot of men's football, um, went into our first team environment, you know, and th- he didn't think he had it cracked, but he could have just put the stops at that point and thought, Do you know what, I'm I'm a professional footballer now, even though he was sort of second, third choice at the time. Um, but then he sort of had, you try and educate him around the way and then you can transform his body. And then he goes out on loan as a great loan. Then he gets in the first team. Then he plays at Wembley as a, as a kid, really sort of 19, 20, when we got promoted. Um, he goes to Wolves, does great there. Um, keeps a clean sheet at the Etihad, you know, like every boy's dream really. And then he's gone to Ipswich on loan. He's currently at Burnley. You know, he's a, he's a great lad, but he had that, he had that reflection time that actually this isn't what I'm just going to be about. This isn't, I haven't, I haven't nailed it at 19 that I've, you know, I've got into a professional football club and that's it. I've cracked it. And I'll just enjoy the ride for as long as someone spits me out. He realized that actually there was more to it. He could earn more money. He could have a better, he could, you know, self-improvement. He could, there was a better version of himself still to achieve rather than the one he was currently in. And um, we've all helped him along the way, but he's worked the hardest out of all of it. You know, he is, he's worked incredibly hard for everything he's achieved. So I'd definitely say that is the, those are the key things that you, that success sort of leaves those clues, those, those ones that have gone on to that level have all had an element of that. Brilliant. Just finally, mate, if people want to reach out, if you want to yeah. ask any questions, I think we've covered loads in there and loads of great takeaways. Um, if there's any, anyone that wants to reach out, ask any questions, any further questions, where would you, would you direct them anywhere? Yeah. So I've, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and, um, and those sorts of things. So I'm more than happy to, to get in touch with people on there. I'm, um, you can either tag me in that or, I don't even know what my Twitter handle is. Matt P Walker one or something. It's really catchy. So <laughs> we'll uh, get it. We'll get it. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm more than happy. I'm not massive on social media, but um, yeah, I'm more than happy to, um, and then we can exchange emails or phone numbers from there. If people want to want to get in touch. So I'm more than happy for that to happen. Brilliant, mate. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. All the best with the trip up to the northwest. Get your sunglasses yeah. packed, your shorts, get them all hey, ready. You're getting sunburned for you, and it got factor three thousand on my head. <laughs> no, all the best, mate, and um, yeah, best luck in the rest of the season as well. Thanks very much for having me. Take care. Thanks, Matt. I just want to start by saying a massive thank you to Matt for giving up his time. We literally fit this in right before he he was setting off on a journey up to Bolton. Um, for a game in such a busy period of the season as well. I really appreciate him freeing up some time and coming on the podcast. I think that there was so much value in this podcast um, in terms of the experiences that Matt discussed. Um, And it's definitely, there's definitely more that we could talk about as well. There's loads of questions I could take off the back of this one too. But 
just in terms of takeaways for me, the first thing was switching to the positive approach, which you spoke about right at the start. So it was something that he spoke about that he took away from his scouting roles that instead of looking at players' weaknesses, saying you need to get better at X, Y, and Z, pointing out their strengths. And obviously we do need to bring up weaknesses, but focusing around being positive and and talking about the strengths of a player, um, like we said about, it changes the language, it changes, changes the sort of mood of the conversation and the confidence of the player as well. So I think that was the first one. I really liked it when he spoke about um, he spoke about giving players the knowledge and he spoke about players um, being asked to do something, being told to do something or wanting to do something. And I think that was really important because obviously as coaches, we want to give the players the, the knowledge of certain things that we want them to do, but we want them to be do, want them to want to do it as well. We don't want to just be asking them all the time. And obviously Matt spoke about short-term contracts with players as well. If they move on to different clubs, we want to make an impact wherever they go. So that was a really important thing for me. He spoke about putting the player at the centre of all decisions, which is always really important. And then he spoke about talking about uh, to the player about what was their best. So the best time in their career where they performing the best, um, reflecting on that, and then and then working with the player on where they go next as well. The other big takeaway for me was um, where he spoke about achieving success and results despite the resources. And I said this would resonate with a lot of other coaches because he was talking about, obviously, the restrictions with COVID, the things they've had to put in place, but pulling together and creating that positive culture, that positive environment for players to thrive under. And I think that's, that's a really important takeaway from this one. And then finally, he spoke about enjoying the journey, embracing the journey and not just thinking about the destination. So in regards to playing in the Premier League, embracing the journey that you've got to go through to get there, doing the right things, putting all the building blocks in place of getting to that ultimate destination. I think that can apply to coaches as well as just players as well. So they were all my takeaways from it. I said that I'd put uh, Matt's Twitter on here as well. So you can go and give him a follow at Matt P. Walker and then the number one on the end. So if you've got any follow-up questions for him, drop him a message on Twitter and I'm sure he'd be um, delighted if you reach out and let him, let him know some of the takeaways from the podcast, but also any other questions that you've got for him as well. But like I said at the start, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. Please make sure you subscribe and share the show. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 130.